Welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the number one track coach focused podcast in the world. From time to time, we like to bring you rebroadcasted value added podcast episodes, some little bonus material, if you will, in between our awesome interviews from coaches around the world. This is just great friends of ours, the Athletics LLC, hosted by Marissa Chu, featuring Mouse Holloway, Chris Huffins, and Charles Ryan. This is a great gang. They operate on YouTube on Friday nights. You got to go be subscribed. We're so blessed that they would let us give you the audio version. So without further ado, Athletics LLC. You are tuned in. To Athletics Double LC yeah, 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 yeah. with Lamar, uh-huh. Lucius, uh-huh. Big League Chew, him yeah. my man Clyde. <laughs> you are about to be schooled in all things track and field. This is experience. Yes, sir. We are talking past, past present, present, future. future. Y'all listen up. Let's go. Hello, good evening, good night, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome, welcome to episode 30. Holy moly, 30 episodes deep. Um this is our fun night of Athletics LLC. And like every other week, we are joined by these three lovely, handsome gentlemen. Tonight, we're just gonna start off with Lucius. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are, welcome aboard. Clyde. 30 episodes, that's crazy. Right, <laughs> that's what I said when I typed it. <laughs> um, and Lamar, I voted Huffins. Let's go. Congrats, congrats. I can't, I, I can't believe we've done this for 30 weeks in a row. I know. I know. This might be so, the most consistent thing in my life. <laughs> uh, I think that the, the key word here is, is you said that. So. <laughs> I, I said might, you know. Oh, well, no, I guess only, I trained more than. Th- only you would know. <laughs> I, I, I trained more than 30 weeks in a row. Okay. Just a little bit. Um, I'll say recently, actually, uh, since I started going back to work, I actually went back to episode one and started to rewatch all of them. Oh my and it, God. It, it's pretty entertaining, our, evol- our evolving screen, let's call it that. So um, if you ever get crazy bored, go back to one and start over. <laughs> You'll oh be entertained. God. I will guarantee yeah. that. And, and You'll see that's the crazy that's some binge watching. That, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I've got an hour to and from work, so I've got time. Um, but anyhow, so diving into our questions, uh, this is this is going to be a great episode for everyone to have reference to. So, put a pen in it, highlight it, part it, whatever it is. This is going to be a good one for your development. So, um, we're going to start off with a, a warm up. So we're talking about the successes of our uh, relationships. And managing success and failure in the coach-athlete relationship in, uh, in track and field, how do we do it? Can we do it? What influence do we have on it? How do we manage the success or failure and or failure in the relationship? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start off on this one. I think that the biggest thing is managing emotions, um, both from the success and the failure part of it. And, you know, it's kind of a joke, but not a joke in track and field circles that when athletes run fast or do well, it's them. And when they don't, it's the coach, right? And um, I have broad shoulders. I have no problem taking the, the total blame when they don't do well. You know, I'm gonna step up and be a man and take that. But I think the thing you have to do is understand that when an athlete doesn't do well, 
you have to understand the emotions they're going through. And I think, in my opinion, anyway, the worst thing you can do is go at their neck in a situation like that. You know, try to find a way to find something positive happen if possible, but don't go into an emotional situation and charge it with more emotion. Because that's what I think leads to the breaks up of relationships in coaching and of the coach at the relationship. And I just feel that, you know, having patience to let things die down when, when, there's, when there's failure and also having the patience to keep everybody's ego in check when there's success is the key. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, for me, I, <clears throat> I try to keep most things I do relatively simple. So for me, it boils down to, to three things. Um, one, um, until they're done competing, they're not your friends. No matter how nice they are, no matter how wonderful their parents are, um, you have a job to do and so do they. And if you become friends with your athletes, you, that line gets blurred and you can't be the person you need to be and neither can they. Two, be transparent. Um, when you make a mistake, own it. When they make a mistake, make them own it. Um, and always be about we and team, like as far as you and that particular student athlete or, or professional athlete is concerned. We got to get better. We will fix it. Those are the kind of terms that, that work really, really well, at least, you know, in my, my few 23 years. Um, and, and then lastly, and I think this one's kind of the biggest one is just make sure that everybody does their job and nobody else's, right? Like you, when your athletes start to think quote unquote for themselves, you have to remind them that's fine as long as they're not doing your job or they don't try to do your job because you sure enough ain't gonna try to do theirs. You're not gonna try to get on the runway and run for them and jump for them and all those other things. So you gotta make sure that they don't try to do yours, right? Your job is to do, my job is to think and coach and see because you can't see outside of yourself. Um, and I think that those, that framework kind of sets it up to, to, to have a positive relationship, a coach athlete relationship and one that doesn't have a ceiling, one that can grow from when you recruit them all the way till when they retire. Cause there's a lot of growth that happens in that. Um, and if you can't be the same person to the, to that person the whole way, um, at least not from my perspective. Um, this is a, an interesting subject matter and, and one that, I don't know, I, I may see differently than a lot of people uh, to me coach and athlete relationships and the way you manage them and, and be successful with them aren't too much different from any other type of relationships that you have in your everyday world. Um, it's, it's a huge trust factor from both sides. And if, you, if you're ever going to get people to trust in you and believe in you and, and want to follow whatever lead you're going to give them, first and foremost, you have to be able to, to be transparent and tell them the truth. Um, for me, the, the word that comes to mind when I think about that is consistency. I don't get to be one person when my athletes are doing well and become a different person when my athletes are doing poorly. That's going to create a lot of problems and a, a, 
lot of strife. So for me, I, I try to be the same person to those athletes that I am every day. Now that doesn't mean, you know, if, if I, if, if me and Lamar have one type of dynamic, me and Lucius can't have a different type of dynamic. They might need two different types of uh, relationship from me. They might, Lucius might need me to be the hard ass that's always on them where Lamar may not be able to take it. I have to be the same person. Um, accountability is a big part of that. Um, as both gentlemen have already said, you got to own the parts of this. If you screw something up, you got to own it. And on the flip side, when they screw something up, you can't let them off the hook for screwing it up. Now, there, there's a time and a place for all those discussions to take place. And your relationship with your athlete should dictate you knowing who and when to have those conversations. Some people benefit from, the comp from a harder conversation immediately after their competition. Some people, they might need a day or two of space. It's your job to be able to know who's who and what's what and meet that standard. So, you know, for me, you know, the trust thing goes a long way. There, there has to be consistency. There has to be accountability. Um, and and the, the other piece to that, at least in, in my experience, is it, it sounds almost corny, right? Like, treat your athletes with the same level of respect that you demand from them towards you. It can't be a one-sided interaction. It can't be a, an authoritative you know, situation, even though in a, in a high school setting or a collegiate setting, you are an authority figure. At, at the professional level, you, you guys are supposed to be, you know, technically as a coach, you're an employee, if you want to be technical about it. But, but on all of those levels, if you treat them as if they are your subservient, you know, like, like you're, like you're the cop or something like it, it's usually not going to go that well. Like, Try to communicate with them at the same level that you want them to communicate back to you. And I think you'll go a lot further in the whole dynamic of the relationship of them trusting you, of them having respect for you. But, you know, be the person that you always were. Yeah, I think that and that that rings true on so many levels. And I think that we've all witnessed this, the coach or the athlete that experienced success and the next time you have interaction with them, they're this whole different person, you know? And like, okay, I get it. You were successful yesterday, but be the same person you were 10 minutes before that success happened. That success turns them into this egotistical monster that thinks that they're bigger than life. And that's amazing to me, you know? You know, some of the things I've heard, I've, 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 I've heard a coach say, oh, my athletes never, never miss. You know, which is ludicrous. That happens. You know, I, I had the <laughs> pleasure or misfortune of coaching an athlete that an ego got so big when somebody asked him who he was, he told him to Google him, right? So, <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, you manage your egos, guys. You know, be, be the same person you were yesterday, today, tomorrow. Have the same values. Have, have, have everything be the same. And then that will lead to greater successes down the road. Remember how you got to where you were. And if your ego wasn't involved in that, then leave your ego back there where it belongs. And, and, I, and, and I'll add to that because with success comes the ability for both the athlete and or the coach to, to change from this ego-centric point of view. But I will say when the coach is the one that does it, it's so much worse. It's so much worse because if, the, if an athlete, 
if Lucius has an athlete who, whose head has ballooned to the Google me place, well, you know what? Lucius has an opportunity to rein that back in. But when it's the coach, who's reining it back in? <laughs> it, it, it goes to places that just destroy the foundations of everything that's built. So for me, I, I, I've always held myself in the coaching role to a higher standard on, on that particular point than I ever held myself to as, the, as an athlete, just because I've seen it, you know, rip too many relationships apart. Um, the one thing I do want to stick in there, I, I think it's really important um, as a coach to, to own when you make a mistake. Yeah. I think a lot of time coaches think that it's, it's always got to be on the athletes so or they messed up. And, you know, I learned this and, and, and I was given this nugget by someone much smarter than me. It, if one of your kids, one of your young people bombs at a meet, the first thought is it's on them and you didn't coach them to do that. But if you look at the, you took a whole group to the meet. If the whole group was flat or more than half the group was flat, that's on you. <laughs> right? That might've been the worst kid, but if everybody's come getting back on the bus, like, ah, this wasn't the greatest week. Like that's on you. Either you didn't prepare them properly for that, particular weekend of performance or they weren't supposed to be but you didn't tell them because sometimes we take kids to meets under heavy loads of training but we don't tell them that right so then you expect them not to do well when they don't do well if you didn't tell them if you didn't tell them guys we're going to train through this or we're going to do this or that if you didn't prepare you didn't score the clay properly now you got to go back and fix all that and now they think that you're just making up excuses so at the end of the day, like, it, it's important to, to own, like, look, if more than half the group didn't perform the way you expected them to, you got to own that. You got to give them the mea culpa and you got to go back in and kind of look at what happened and try and fix it. And one of the greatest and, and, examples. And, and it'll go a long way with your, with your athletes when they realize that you don't think you're infallible. Right. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Luch. No, you're fine. I, I thought, I paused because I thought you were done. Um, one of the greatest examples I ever saw of this was back in the 90s. There's SEC championship game, Florida versus Alabama. Quarterback throws a pick uh, interception down near the goal line. After the game, they put the, the mic in Coach Spurrier's face and they ask him, you know, what happened? You know, basically, what did the quarterback do wrong? Coach Spurrier never flinched and goes, I got to coach him better. Got to coach, co coach the quarterback better. Got to coach the wide receiver better. And then that didn't happen. You know, as a lot of people would have threw both of those kids under the bus, but he shouldered all the responsibility. And that's why he was a great coach. You know, and that's why he was. Awesome. Ooh. Great responses. I love all of that. Um, so with that being said, owning our, our, our roles and mishaps and whatnot, no one bats a thousand. So are there one or two athletes that you've coached who would you who you would like a do-over with? What would you do differently? Wow. Uh -oh. <laughs> I'm glad you limited this to one or two because I swear this, this, <laughs> oh, yeah, this could be, be, be a six-hour <laughs> show. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll go first on this one. Um, you know, I, and I'm gonna start with a guy that um, and it's funny because people 
that people like to poke at this guy when they talk about my failures in track and field. And I, I'm not going to label him as a failure. Um, I'm going to say that I should have done a better job with communicating with this young man. Um, this young man is William Wynn. You know, he's a great 400 hurdle out of high school. He was a world youth champion and all this stuff. And I just, and I am still of this opinion today that William's skill set was not in the 400 hurdles. It was in the 110 hurdles. But because he had this predetermined thought in his head when he got on my campus that he was going to be the next great 400 hurdler, we just never, I was never able to mold that clay the way it was supposed to be molded. And that was on me. I should have did a better job of helping him understand why he was a better high hurdler, why his skill set was better, and that I didn't do a very good job of that. Um, you know, to my point, he was third in the NCAA meet in the high hurdles as a freshman. You know, but then the problem is he goes that summer and he wins the Pan Am Junior meet in the four hurdles. <laughs> so, like the conversation just thirteen six into a two point headwind as as a freshman. That's thirteen forty something. And I know people are going to get at me when I say this, 49-7 and 49-5 in the 400 hurdles isn't fast. I mean, no, it's not. It's not. So 13-6 to a headwind as a freshman is fast. And I just could never get that across to him. And like I said, I, I, if I could go back and do that over, I'd find a way to communicate better with him and find a way to get that done. Uh, man, the, the one that, that really sticks out to me <clears throat> for all the context that, that came along with it um, is probably Jalen Hicks, who was a 100-meter state champion, Texas 5A state champion, um, and one of my first major signings uh, to Art U out in, on the West Coast. No one in the country understood how the hell the Texas state champion who ran 10-1 in the meet, Wendy, it was Wendy, would, would sign to go to a D2 school. Well, the reason we signed him is because he believed in what we were trying to do and he wanted to be an artist. He wanted to go work for Pixar one day. So academically, it was a, it was a perfect fit for us. But when you're the Texas State champ, you haven't lost in a while and you almost broke the, you know, a very infamous record, you know, and, and, you're, and you're coming into a Division II situation, you know, Jalen thought that he was just going to run through everybody. And, you know, I needed to do a better job of preparing him mentally for the grind that was ahead of him. And I think, even though we talked about like, hey, man, listen, you're very gifted, but, you know, these are grown men that you're going to be racing week in and week out. And you're going you're gonna to take some L's. Like, we had those conversations but I don't think I did a good enough job preparing him to, for what that really, really meant. And he started taking L's his freshman year and he was out of the sport by his sophomore year. Like that kid was, you know, a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. And, and I think if I would have done a better job preparing him for the grind and preparing him to be patient with his success, I think he could have done a, a lot of really special things in the NCAA period, let alone a division two. Like when we signed him, I'm like, oh my God, this kid's gonna break every record. And I was, you know, I was so hyped about having him, so excited about the opportunity to work with him that I, I think I might've, uh, I think I might've 
know, push through some, just push past some things that I, that I should have taken a lot more time to address. And ultimately, I think he suffered mentally um, over that struggle. And so, yeah, that's that's one of my biggest regrets in in, in my college career because that kid was a monster, monster town. He so, did PR before. We'll say that he PR'd indoors and he win legal PR'd outdoors, but that's a part of it. He didn't yeah, understand right. PR's work. <laughs> right. Um, so first, let me ask this: Are are we going to go back around for an honorable mention? Because that's going <laughs> to. When will we get to? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, so my 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 two are are simple. Uh, one. So you gonna give us, you gonna give us both yours right now? No, 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 no. I'm only okay. gonna do one, right? Because you said. Okay. Yes. But I'm just yeah. saying, like, but so I'm saying my two are simple. So I, okay. now that I know I don't have to do an honorable mention, I'm clear. Uh, my first one. Um, I actually think that Lucius and I talked about this yesterday. Uh, my my entire first group uh, at Wake Forest. Um, and and mind you, they were successful. Like this group won ACCs in the 100 and the 200 and the 4 by one And I think the, all of those are still Wake Forest's school records. But trust me when I tell you, um, I was a brand new coach who was still an athlete and I was thinking very, very, very autobiographically. And it is only by the grace of God that I didn't blow those kids apart. Um, I literally, I want to say this slow. So people who are watching this, young people get out your clipboards and write this part down. I was giving them too much volume, too great of intensity and doing both of those things too frequently. So literally I was the recipe for injury. Um, we went hard on, we went semi-hard on Monday, hard on Tuesday, hard on Thursday, and then I crushed them at track meets on Saturday because I had come from this thought process and that, you know, he who works the hardest wins. And yeah, that 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 was not a good good scenario. Um, it's It was an interesting road for all of us. We all learned a lot going together. I was much better their second year and even better their third year, but even by the third year, I was just okay based on what I know at this point. But that first year, I, they, were all, they were all football players. And I will tell you this, it is shocking to me that they came back out. And I should have known something was wrong when one of the kids said, coach, we don't work this hard in football. <laughs> and so of course, of course, what was my, you know, track egotistical response? Of course you don't, because y'all have no idea how hard track is. That's right. Right? Because, right. you know, there's always that, there's always that battle, because our sport is everybody else's punishment. But, but yeah, for sure, uh, I, I would love to have, in two in particular, Reggie Austin, who ended up playing for the Bears, and John Stone, who ended up playing for the Eagles and a couple other teams, if I could have those two dudes back, their freshman year, their sophomore year would have been even more special, and their junior year would have been lights out. Um, my my next one, I'm gonna go to the female side this time, and and this young lady actually had some success here. Um, she was an All American in the hundred, and in the sixties, NCAA champion in the four by one. Um, but you know, we all have that one that got away. 
And my one that got away on the women's side was Shayla Sanders. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, um, man, I just couldn't figure it out. Like she, she would run fast and then it would just kind of go away. And I didn't realize until after she graduated that she just put this tremendous pressure on herself when she ran fast because she wanted to be so good. And I just never helped her manage that very well. But, you know, Shayla's a girl that just pick a day, put the beams out there, 30, she'll give you 290 mid anytime she wanted to. 290 low is any day of the week. And we never saw that in a track meet because I don't think I did my job of helping her manage her own expectations. And um, So if I could go back and have a do-over with Shayla Sanders, um, I would help her manage her emotions better. I would help her manage her the pressure she put on herself better because there's no doubt in my mind that Shayla, just based on the things I saw in practice on a daily basis, had the skill set to be one of the best ever. So Shayla would be my second one. All right, so my second one, I'm gonna go to the women as well, but not for any on the track work because on the track, me and this lady were magic together. I still am bothered by the fact that Vastar Thomas is no longer in the sport of professional track and field. And I think the one thing that I could have done to facilitate that working better is I should have found a way to force her into playing the game. What I mean by that is anybody that knows Ty, she's a very independent thinker. She's very outside the box kid. And much like my attitude when, when I was working with high school kids and they were trying to determine where they wanted to go to school, my attitude was, listen, my job is to put proper options in front of you and I will do that but I'm not gonna make your choices for you. You're gonna choose where you go to school. Well, when Vastai came out of the NCAA with a PR of 1260 in the hurdles, a PR of 227 in the 200, a PR of 697, 2210 and a quarter in the long jump, my attitude was, well, you're clearly a superstar. There's no way that you're not gonna get a deal. So I'll make sure to keep the knuckleheads in the business side away from you, but you ultimately pick who you want to pick to represent you. And I think giving her that level of autonomy, that lack of guidance, I think allowed her the, the space to feel that whoever she chose wouldn't matter. And the sick part of our business is it actually kind of does. And if I would have- if I would have, if I would have forced her into a more traditional box than, than what she chose in that moment, she would have got a contract. And if she would have got a contract, then she'd still be in the sport. Two years after her and Danielle Williams came out, Danielle Williams was the world champion in 2015 and Vasa was out of the sport. And it's all because she couldn't sustain her life, any life on the business side. And you know, I, I wanted her to feel good about her independence and her and her choices, but I could have guided that better. I should have guided that better because if I would have told her do this, she would have done it. And I so didn't want to be that guy. I didn't get in the middle, and I should have got in the middle instead of just staying on the side. I should have, you know, guided that a little differently. And 
I mean, hell, she could come back right now and I still think make an Olympic team for somebody because she's that damn gifted and she still is young. But, you know, she's living a fantastic life and, and doing the things that makes her happy and that's cool. But whenever I see women's long jump competitions, whenever I see women's hurdle competitions, I know that someone else is supposed to be in there, in that mix. And so, you know, that's one that, you know, in my in my time, in my world, I didn't, I knew the professional game, but I didn't exactly know how to force her to play it the right way. And I should have done that better. Um, my, my second one is, it's a cautionary tale for coaches, right? Um, it is very important to coach uh, Lucius and I talk about this all the time. People like to coach the crap out of the middle. They don't really want to be time and emotionally invested in the coaching truly developmental kids. And most people are afraid to actually get in there and get their hands dirty and coach the very best kids that they ever get because they're afraid they're going to break them. And then people are going to talk smack about the fact that so-and-so went to you and you didn't do anything with them. So the, the way that I learned that you have to truly coach your best kids was was what will be number two for me tonight um probably the most physically gifted athlete i've ever coached is a guy named darren woods and and darren was the first superstar that i ever was able to on the track i had a couple field eventers before him but he was the first superstar i ever had on the track that committed to come to me and run for me and I coached him and he PR'd and did all those other wonderful things, but I didn't really direct him properly. And I allowed him to round edges that I should not have and get away with things that other kids on the team wouldn't have gotten away with. Not, not truly egregious, but just enough such that what ended up happening is he got hurt for the first time in his entire life. And he got hurt because we went to the conference meet and he was bigger, faster, stronger than he'd ever been. But he was still the same high school kid who'd think, who thought that drinking Coke was being hydrated. And <laughs> I knew that Darren didn't drink water and that as much as I would tell people to bring water bottles out to practice or do all the things that they had to do to hydrate, take care of themselves. I knew he wasn't doing those things. And rather than jump in his garbage and make him change those things, I let him get away with it. So when we go to the conference meeting, he's running out of his mind and then he blows himself apart and he sprawled across the track with a hamstring tear, all hell broke loose. And then, it, then, then that was my fault and, and everything after that for a long time. We've, look, the, the young man is an, is an incredible human being and he's a, he's a teacher now. And, you know, he's said some of the kindest things ever that anybody's ever said about me since. But if I could have a do-over from day one, I would have coached him the way that I coached every elite athlete I ever had after him, which is if it's good for the goose, it's even better for the gander. And so it was like, if you don't want to drink water, then you can't go to practice. If you don't want to, if you don't want to do all the things that are necessary, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. I learned all those things from breaking that egg and and trust me if i could go back and 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 have a do-over with that young man 
the fastest quarter miler I would have ever coached would probably be 44 mid or faster. And the fastest 200 meter guy I ever would have coached probably would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 flat to 2020 because he was that good. What I love is before, as I post the question, those who maybe were not thinking in depth about the question in itself, all thought were going, all thoughts were going to, we didn't run far enough, we didn't stretch enough, we didn't lift enough, things of that nature. All the X and an o, X's and O's, but not one of your relative stories were about the X's and O's. It was everything beyond the track. You know, the understanding, the the know-all, the awareness, the application, not the meters, not the contacts, things of that nature. So um, that, that was, though very vulnerable of all three of you to do, and so grateful and gracious of you to do it in such manners that you did, um, that, was, that was a great lesson to be learned by you all now at this point in retrospect but definitely for us younger coaches and those who are still evolving and, and don't have all those experiences yet to make note of and to try to prevent rather mm -hmm. than experience. So if you haven't put on your ears, listening ears, you have time to put them on and rewind. So go ahead and do that. Um, but so this, this question kind of is a branch off of that. I don't want to call it the trunk of the tree, but a branch of a branch. Uh, what is the greatest obstacle to an athlete having a great collegiate career? Oh, God. Their coach. I want to, I was going to say, I want to jump in here first, but I will definitely say that there's. Can I give a two-word answer? Can I give a two-word answer? <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll circle back, but I, can I give a two-word answer? <laughs> Food and social life. Move on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the truth of the matter is, because the question says, what is the biggest obstacles to, to having a great track, great collegiate track career? Well, I mean, look, we could literally be on these tiles for the next two days with that one. Um, and, and the crazy part is, my answer would be long from when I competed. It's way longer now, because we didn't have social media when I was in school. Right, so you have a whole nother debacle, but um, to, to truncate a, a gigantic uh, topic down to, to, to bites that people can handle, I, I'll, I'll give a, not quite a two word answer, but I'll say, I'll give a two thing answer, which is one, distractions. Um, and that they, distractions come in a lot of different clothes, but making a big, big thing small, I'll say the word distractions. Um, if you, if your mind is deviated from the task at hand, it is very, very difficult to be great at something that everybody else in the country is also trying to be great at. Um, and then two, and I think this one's probably the one that, that slides under the rug. Um, it's honesty. I, I think that a lot of people don't get what they want to out of their collegiate careers in particular, because they just won't be honest with themselves or their coaches won't be honest with them or the people that are in their circle are not honest with them. Like in order to be great at, at collegiate track and field, you need honesty because for sure you're not working hard enough. I can say that almost, almost blanket statement about anybody. For sure you're not working as hard as you can or should. 
for sure you're not hydrating as much as you should. For sure you're not eating properly. And and the big one, and I think every single college coach would admit, like almost no collegiate athlete sleeps enough. Right. So so if we just come back to honesty about, you know, that old adage like we tell little kids, like every time you point a finger, there's four pointing back at you. That 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 deal right there. But three. it's three. I know. I've heard four, but I'm like, my fingers don't go that way. So it's three, right? But at the, but but at the end of the day, we get it. Like, if you are not willing to have honest conversations with yourself or hear honest conversations from your coach, assuming they're good enough to have ones with you, like, it's pretty tough to have a great college career without honesty. Yeah. Um, look, <laughs> the, the sleep thing, the sleep thing is wild. And, and I, 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 genuinely, I, I genuinely said social life distractions is another perfect way to put it. Like, I like to, I like to think and people who were recruiting me and coaching me at the time would say, I, you know, I was pretty gifted. People who know me well, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, never have. Like, it's just not my thing. And I mean, never have. But I was up to like 4 a.m. almost every day doing whatever. Like, <laughs> I showed up to practice on time, trained my, trained my tail off, gave it every part of whatever. Hell, you sometimes I'd skip class to go to extra practice. But my social agenda, my social agenda did not meet the criteria <laughs> to do well. And in my brain at that time, you know, I'm like, like, what do you mean? These fools are out in the club doing all kinds of shenanigans. I don't do that. So I thought, you know, I'm good which goes back to the honesty thing. Like you have to be really real with yourself and ask yourself, and it's something I ask my kids often, like how good do you really wanna be at this? When you're recruiting kids, everybody says, oh, I wanna go to the Olympics. Do you really though? Oh, I wanna be an All-American. Do you really though? Do you understand what kind of level of commitment that takes? Like, cause if you don't, or if you're not really into it, I'm cool with that. If you just wanna use your skills to get an education, I get it, that's one level. But if you want to go above that, if you want to be, because let's be real, if you're an All-American in Division One in this sport, in this country, I mean, that's professional athletics. Pick an event. If you're the national champion, that's professional standards right there. So if you want to be at that level, you have to get very serious about and very honest about how you are living your life every day. What you eat is more important than any workout that we're going to write for you. How you handle your time away from the track is more important than anything you're going to be doing between those numbers because it's all going to catch up with you eventually. Maybe in an injury, maybe in not being prepared. And there's always going to be easy excuses to, to point to and blame. But if you're being serious, you know, it, it's really about how you manage yourself away from the everyday grind of what, of what you're supposed to be doing. And, and I think the, the rare humans that are, are that talented and get it, you know, you see, you know, all worldly type of performances, but there's a whole bunch of kids that are definitely not the ace, the A-level recruits, but they grind and they are serious and they work their asses off. There's most of the people in the, in the NCAA finals, half of them, they're not blue chips. They grinded their way there. And there's a whole bunch of more talented people who fell off because they didn't handle their business off the track. And we see the example 
of that every year. So yeah, it, the biggest obstacle is ultimately yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna just break it down to, to, to three categories for me. Now, first one I'm gonna start with is patience and off of patience, you know, be patient with your growth in the sport. You know, whatever you did in high school, leave it in high school. You know, that, that's, that's huge. Um, the other side of that is your social life. You know, you guys have discussed that um, at length and I can't begin to tell you the importance of that. Um, as I like to tell my freshmen, gentlemen especially, slow down, put your feet up, enjoy your, enjoy the whatever is going on. Stop trying to date every girl on campus in the first semester, right? Um, the other thing is trust. You know, I think it's important that, um, you know, you, got, you committed to come to a school to be with a coach. And so if you're gonna come to the school, then trust said coach. Now, give that coach a chance to show you that he or she can do the things they promised you that they could. So in essence, trust the process. And just goes back again to the social life piece of it. Manage the 20 to 21. And the 20 to 21 is those, those, those are the hours that we do not see them, right? Those are the hours we don't see. Now let's also go from the flip side. This is not all just about the athlete. The coach has to be patient also. You know, and let the athlete learn and let the athlete grow. The athlete, to me, just like as the athlete has to trust, the coach has to develop that trust with the athlete. And if the athlete questions things, be patient enough to explain things to them, right? And then the coach also has to be smart enough to know that they're not managing the 20 to 21 the way they're supposed to. And when you, just because you have something on the workout sheet, doesn't mean it has to be done that day, right? So it's, it's a, you know, two-sided equation. A lot of moving parts in there, but it can be done successfully if everybody's willing to work together. I believe I believe so anyway. You know, for for me, a lot of times what has helped me help my student athletes has been a simple math, you know, equation, right? They think that we monopolize monopolize all of their time. Like, you know, every one of us has had had has had student athletes say that. And and I just I said, well, look, let's just do some simple math, right? There's 168 hours in a week. We get 20. We get 20. You got 148. You can lie to yourself and you say, and say you, that you sleep 56 of those hours. That's a lie. Don't know college kids sleep eight hours a day. And it, but, but if you did, right, you're still in the realm of 90 hours. 90 hours. Yeah, but right? if, and, I, and let me let me add this in there. What eight hours are you sleeping? Right. Yeah. You're not going to bed at nine o'clock at night and sleeping at right? If, if you take a full crazy load, that's 15 hours of class, right? You're still talking about 75 hours. So the question I always turn it back to them is like, if you want to be great, how you manage those 75 hours is going to be the dictation of what really happens. It's not what we do in the 20. Because you got almost four times as many, and that's assuming you sleep eight hours a day, which we know ain't true, but you still got four times as many hours to manage as you do with me. So the truth of the matter is back to what I was saying about the whole honesty thing is like, what do you do? How do you manage? What sort of accountability do you have for those 75 to 80 hours, right? Because that's plenty of time to have a girlfriend. That's plenty of time to be an A student. 
that's plenty of time to hang out with your boys or your girls. It's 80 hours, right? That's more than 10 hours a day. Right. So the question really is like, what are you doing with all of that? <laughs> that's the real question. And so when, 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 you, when you break it down for them like that, they go, huh. And they start to realize like, they waste twice as much time as we instruct them. I've literally taken out a big whiteboard and done that step-by-step break <laughs> time every year for like 10 to 12 years in a row. And every person that has sat through it, at least for a week, I can hold their attention afterwards. Yep. <laughs> I, yep. Like, oh, damn, he was right about that. Yeah, but whatever, I still got this, you know what I mean? Like it always, they revert back somehow, but every now and then you break through with that. It, it's a very useful tool. My favorite thing to do is have, cause like the, the, the dietitian at the, at the first school I did this at, at first she got upset cause she was like, well, you don't have a degree in this. Like, why are you having kids do a food journal? I was like, see, you got it all confused. I don't have to do, have them do a food journal for me. I have them log everything they eat for a week. And then I have them read it themselves. I don't even want to know what's on it. Like right. you look at it and tell me if that's how you fuel a Ferrari. That's right. Right, because at the end of the day, it's all about honesty. I do the same thing with weight. Like I never ask any of my kids what they weigh. I tell them weigh themselves. And then when you go and weigh yourself, you know whether you're up or down. Because I know what it's supposed to look like. I don't need the numbers. I don't need verification to say like, you're not fit. I, I, <laughs> I have training that says you're not fit, <laughs> right? Right. So, so at the end of the day, like, you know, the truth is like, sometimes you just have to force feed young people with the truth that so that they can't avoid it, right? When they see what they put in their bodies, and they see how, how little they eat, I mean, how, how little they sleep, and, and they get confronted with how little water they consume. Then you say to them, like, so tell me how we're gonna get there? How we gonna be Lucius's gators? And and Clyde's Bears, right? If we're at Botswana Tech, how we're gonna beat them if we're not doing those things? Because those things don't require any skill. I, I had a young man a couple of years ago, never missed a practice, never did nothing, never missed anything. There every day. Six months into the start of training, he's like, Coach, I really wanna talk to you. He comes in the office, he said, Coach. I've been doing all the stuff you told me to do. I've been monitoring. I don't see any changes to, to my body whatsoever. Like, it, honestly, I might be a little, a little softer than when I got here. I said, yeah. So how's that my fault? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not feeding you. <laughs> I was like, right. I was like, bro, I don't make any of your meals. And if you're at all the weight training and you're at all the track training and your muscle definition is going away, stop drinking. Stop partying. Stop eating McDonald's. Because none of this has anything to do with what's going on in this office. Like, you got all the evidence, right? But, you know, he didn't get it. Had to go that way, though. <laughs> Ooh, tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. Give him the serum. Um, so let's go, let's go a little towards the skill side. Let, let's make sure that we get a little bit of X and O, just so make sure we're still valid in our points, right? Um, so what, what's your view 
on the use of wickets, mini hurdles, visual obstacles, barricades, whatever you want to call them um, in regards to rhythm running or uh, stride frequency or stride length, whatever you want to talk about it, in training, what's the good and or bad of their utilization? Uh, sure, I'll jump in first. <laughs> um, I guess I'll say for me, in 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 teaching of acceleration, uh, I've always talked about stepping over the ankle, stepping over the mid shin, stepping over the upper shin, stepping over the knee as a progression. Well, it's it's really easy to conceptualize that when you see the obstacle set up out in front of you and they rise slightly, that it, it's a visual cue that really gets you to get what it is I'm trying to get you to do. None of these things are the right height because I don't want the obstacles to be physical obstacles. I want them to be visual obstacles. So it's, you know, flat cones, six inch mini hurdles, you know, your clearance should be relatively large over all of these things, but the visual, in my opinion, the visual helps a great deal. Um, and again, do I think they're mandatory? No, but I, I think it, it it's another way, it's another cue to get people to understand where feet and shins and things of that nature are supposed to be uh, in, in acceleration. Um, I think where, where I've seen people get into trouble using uh, wickets or obstacles are, are twofold. One, the obstacles, they, they, they get too high. Um, uh, and two, they get too far apart. Like they get too close to where the foot strikes are supposed to be. So they, the whole point is they're supposed to basically be in the middle of the airtime of whatever you're doing so that they're not truly an obstacle. And I've seen too many people try to be too cute and take the obstacle too close to where the foot strike is supposed to be. And that causes a whole nother issue because you have uh, visual adaptation for the obstacle that shouldn't be. So you end up creating sitting or stretching, like meaning uh, not stretching, reaching and all those other wonderful things. But for the most part, especially when applied properly and, uh, and within with reason, I think that, that wickets or visual obstacles, whatever words you're gonna use for them, I, I think they're good. Um, I think wickets and all things in the realm, I think they're very useful um, when done intelligently. I think like every other toy that we have invented or have access to, you can get very far ahead of yourselves. Too cute, as Lamar said, try to overthink some things, try to reinvent wheels, or honestly, just try to make yourself to, to your audience and get lost in the minutia of what you're trying to do. Uh, you know, I, I think every, I think all of this stuff has its place. Um, and I've, as I've always said about any subject in related re relation to training, it should be based on the needs specifically of the athlete. I don't think that there's any kind of magic pills. I don't think that there's a one size fits all for any training kit, for any training system, for any training model. And I use wickets, mini cones, discs, all of that. I use all of it in my training year round for different reasons, but it should be a piece of what you do. It should never be the only thing that you are, you know, I, I know some people that, that couldn't get through a practice without any of that, without any of that stuff. And, and I think that goes a little too far uh, sometimes, but they are very useful pieces of equipment. And 
if you can find a, a way to to use them intelligently and within the context of what your kids need, I'm all for. Yeah, I, um, I'm not a big wickets guy, um, but I do um, understand and see the value of them depending on what kind of program that you that you use. Um, I think I've seen people use them to establish, you know, takeoff distances, you know, stride length stuff, as my man Lamar said. Um, my biggest issue is. Um, kind of similar to what Clyde said is when they get a little bit too cute with them, you know, and become totally dependent upon them. Um, I think when it comes to wickets and determining, you know, doing stride and stuff, um, I just don't know how you set up one set of wickets and you've got a six, five guy and a five, eight guy or a five, 10 girl and a five, five girl. Those that's, I, I can't buy into that, that there's no way that those set are good for everybody. So I think if you're using wickets, you have to make them specific to the athlete and to the workout that you're doing. Um, you know, I know people that that use the heck out of those kind of visual cues and they do a wonderful job with them. So I would never say that they're a bad thing um, because I've seen too many people do great work with them. But I do think that if you're going to use those kind of visual cues, talk to people that use them correctly, and understand that you better be patient enough to go out there and set them up individually for each athlete and don't just set up a line and go, okay, everybody on the team, boys and girls go through the same line. Yeah, that's just, that's not gonna work. But I do obviously with some of the success, success we've seen people have with them, obviously they are a good, a good visual cue for a lot of athletes. So. I think it's important to, 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 to reiterate because all three of us said it, they're supposed to be a visual cue. They're not supposed to be an obstacle. Mm-hmm. And, and if at any point in time wickets you're using become an obstacle you're using them incorrectly the the, the thing that drives me crazy with the whole uh, wicket craze is you see coach x d- using them and you know this person has had a lot of success doesn't matter collegiate level world level high school level there's people at every one of those levels that use wickets as a big part of their program and do it well and have a lot of success so you see them doing that, you're like, shit, I need to do that. Yep. Don't take the time to understand the why. So now you're out there real cute with your wickets and you got everything set up and you're hot on Instagram, but you're not doing anything with them of value to your kids. So it's, it becomes a fad, just like every other. Thing. That drives me crazy. So if you're going to use a new toy, or implement something like that into your training, please understand the why, and then take the why and apply it individually to make your kid better. And if that means you gotta come up with five different ways to do the same drill, because all your kids are that much different, well, damn it, then that's what you need to do. Like, that's just how it is. Uh, just as a caveat, please don't post your kids' workouts on, on Instagram or anything else if they're not doing the, the things properly. That is like one of the biggest pet peeves of mine. No, I refuse no. to stop. No, please stop because see, they think they're doing them properly. So that's, that's, that's the that's point. That's the point. But see, but that, but see, that's my point. See, like, let's not become critical and elitist here. Okay. Don't I don't do want to become critical or elitist, but I, but this is why I say. Okay, this, so my right? thing is this. Okay, if they don't think that they're doing it wrong and they're excited about it and they see some growth, then let people celebrate their successes. 
right? Because because here's the thing: if you see somebody doing something wrong on Instagram, I won't challenge you to pick up the phone and call them and tell them how to do it right. I'm not. That's not my job. But no, no, nowhere, nowhere does it say coach. "coach everybody" on my shirt. I did okay, and, and, I, okay. And, and it doesn't say "be critical of everybody" either. But I'm not being critical. What I'm saying is this. If you're going to post a video, right, then you should know that the positions that the kids that you are videoing are correct. I'm not like what I'm saying. Why should they Because here's why. Because of exactly what Clyde said earlier. When you put it on video, there are coaches further down the list than you who think that that's gospel. Okay. Hold on a second. 2000 and six California some one of the million damn junior colleges y'all got out there you and I are standing on the track and I said can't you can't they see that he's doing this and you said mouse everybody don't see what you see all right I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna help well, why do we well, why do we want them to put it on permanent because video but they think that they're doing it right sir because because Lucius is correct, they do believe they're doing it right. But here's to so that we're point. making you the Instagram police. So, so, so to that point, I don't even have Instagram. Right. No, I but, know. <laughs> so, so to that point, I'm sorry, Clyde. Why, I apologize. Here's why they should figure it out, or at least have you know proper friends in their life to tell them, hey, you should probably stop doing that. Here's the real reason, especially if we're talking about the lower levels. If we're talking about high school kids. The reason you should stop doing that, because some because college coaches see it and they're like, man, I'm not about to undo this crap. That happens. That happens a lot. <laughs> well, see, and I'm going to tell you this on the other side of it. It goes back to the same thing. They might not have friends that have any more knowledge than they have. Well, this and, is the other side of, and the other side of that, see, I ain't that coach. Because if I see somebody running fast, doing something wrong, keep doing what you're doing. I'm good. I want that challenge. Which is Holloway, friend of the people. No, it's not. It's not about being friend of the people. That's that's your rule. How's hey, it me? It's my pet peeve. You're right. I, I it, it drives me, but it drives know, th- me thank bananas. Thank you for trying, Clyde, but he, he, but he ain't he ain't trying to help me tonight. That's fine. Look, Look Clyde, you know what? That's what I'm gonna do. See this? Rule. See this thumb right here? This is what I'm gonna do whenever I see those videos. Scroll to the next one. That's what I'll keep doing. But see, but I think you should pick up your phone and call them and help them. That's what I think you should do. For sure. As soon as as soon as you get you send me that shirt that says coaches everybody, I'll be happy to. I will get you the shirt if you commit to getting Instagram and leaving like heart emojis and, and whatnot under the post. Absolutely. Oh my God, you said heart emojis. <laughs> Absolutely. Clapping yeah, hands, heart I emojis. I want to see this. Clapping hands and heart Nonsense. emojis. This. Oh my gosh. Okay, so rounding out the beyond the X's and O's and a little bit of an X and an O in there. Uh, those are all great nuggets. So now we need to have fun. Now we're just going to light Clyde on fire and see if he can withstand. Oh, I'm here for that. Clyde on fire. Yes. Light him up. I got my fire extreme with your buddy. I'm going to put you out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I, look, see this? Look. I'm fanning those it. flames. He's going to use your petty hat to throw the water in. Absolutely. <laughs> petty hat applied. All right, sir. Comfortable? I'm good. All right. HBCU or an uh, PWI? Oh, no, that's just not fair at all. 
that that that's not fair at all. I'm a, I'm gonna tell you like this. I will never, never, never forget my time in HBCU world, and I think the HBCUs are an invaluable part of our academic system. I think they need to be supported way more. But <laughs> you're asking me which environment I choose to work in professionally. I mean, I would definitely choose to work in the Power Five environment, the PWI environment, because the structure is there at levels that it's usually not in the HBCU world, though it should be. And I think the governments and state governments and all of that need to do a hell of a lot better job with all of that. And that's exactly why I gave you that question, because I needed you to say all of that. So thank you very much. All right. Suited and booted or athleisure? Leisure. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't, let my, don't let my show persona fool you. I only dress up for this. <laughs> I love it. Two hours and counting. Um, do you go to a barbershop or a stylist? Oh, barbershop. Listen, and this is this is part of my must be That's back. A good one. Must be back home journey to to the. Here, here's the problem. I've only lived in two parts of this country. I've lived in California and various parts of the South. The problem in the South is the barbers know how to do the fades, but they can't handle the rest of this, and the stylists can't fade or do none of that. So only out here on the West Coast where it is mixed baby central and there's so many cultures can all the barbers cut my hair appropriately, but I only have one shop and that is Empire Barbershop, Concord, California, D and the crew, fabulous people. They are, they're great. You got, you do have to go into the mall for it. So that- Oh, don't, don't let the location fool you. Don't yeah, but it's gonna be it's good, yeah. Fire, best- Go best in the mall. And they always have a line, doesn't even matter. I mean, not COVID times, but <laughs> before COVID, they always had a line. Um, your favorite college ch collegiate track memory? I don't think that's LLC appropriate. Oh, At okay. Oh. oh, oh, oh. Clinch the pearls, okay, okay, retract. <laughs> um, name a movie that you can watch over and over again. Oh Lord, I'm a movie fanatic um movies are like my second love uh there's too many to name i for for whatever reason i watched um man <laughs> i've been watching re-watching movies all this week for no damn reason i've watched a few good men easily a hundred times i watched it three times this week i don't know why <laughs> Um, but but there's a hundred more on that list. Like I I am the guy that will rewatch things over and over and over again. Quentin Tarantino films all day for no reason. Got it. What's the best Quentin? What's the best Quentin Tarantino film? Oh oh man. There's only one answer to this. It's not only one answer though. See, I, I think a lot of these are very underrated. Most people would say Pulp Fiction. And I get that. I wouldn't. Me, honestly, I love The Hateful Eight. I love it. That's good. I love it. Uh, but Django is probably the one. Because of all the context that comes. Uh, I'm a Reservoir Dogs guy. Oh, yeah, sure. Old school. Love it. Seen that about 100 times myself. I've definitely <laughs> seen that about 100 times. Okay, what about your most memorable moment as a coach? Oh, easily. 
Women uh, Academy of Art University, 2013, indoors, Birmingham, Alabama, my first national championship. Uh, those ladies, my staff, the fact that I said it was going to happen a year in advance in print and had to carry the weight of all of that and these specific performances that came out from every every single lady on that roster put put in a, a, a very serious high contributing performance to that effort and I will never forget that that will always be my um, that's awesome all right now your cool down lap hard shell or soft shell tacos hard <laughs> even street tacos should be barely dipped in in the fryer for at least a good three to five seconds if it's not done that way it's not done right I love it. I love it. Well, you survived another round of rapid fire. That, that was a little bit. That was a little bit hotter than than some of these other ones. I told I'm, you. I must say. I try. I try. All right, gents. Let's go ahead and again, as always, redeem our hearts at the end of the show. <laughs> so, um, with our heartbeat props. Um, I'll go first because it's a, a current experience that I'm going through this weekend and then I've done a few in the past, but um, my heartbeat props go out to the coaches who want to make themselves better. So, uh, you know, in different avenues, it looks like coaches collab, the thing that I started over COVID. Um, it looks like just our basic mentor mentee. And I'm on both sides of that at this point, being a mentee of quite a few and definitely the three tiles um, and a mentor to some. And um, I've made it a very uh, very redeeming, giving back type uh, feature of my own that I want to make sure that I always keep inside is to give back to the female coaches of the coaching world, um, especially having the unique uniqueness of being a mom who's been a coach since I've had babies. So like I didn't get into it when they were teenagers. I've been a coach since they were babies. Um, as well as those who are, you know, we don't all push the levels on everyone, but even those coaches who devote the time now on Zoom to be in the levels, um, or even, you know, when that time comes, they're on Zoom for USDCCA, or when we're allowed back in person, they're taking the time to do that. Um, heartbeat props to you all, because you want to be better, you know, and there's different motives for it, maybe, and maybe there's you start with one motive and then it evolves and it becomes this greater good and you develop, develop into a bigger, better, better coach. Um, those were three different words. Um, and then sometimes you don't, sometimes you stay in that shell and you're just supposed to be that, you know, no dig, but you're supposed to be that pole ball coach and you don't grow out of that shell. And if that's what it is, that's what it is, but you own it, right? You have to be honest with yourself, like we said earlier. So, um, Props to all of you out there because it, it takes a special person to, to know that you are not the smartest at the table and that you're trying to get there and you're always going to evolve that table upwards. So my heartbeat props this week go to all the coaches who are trying to make themselves better, specifically the level one class that I'm uh, having the pleasure of co-teaching this weekend. Interesting. I'm going to go next because mine kind of follows um, that, that slant. I didn't know we were... You were going there. We've done this before. I know, right? The tide rolls. Right. My my, my heartbeat props uh, along the same lines. Uh, just just go out to you know all the coaches, you know in our sport that they have you know taken this time uh, to try to make themselves better at their craft. Um, I had the honor today of hosting 
uh, my first talk uh, for the coaches collab. And it, it was really cool to, to see, you know, everybody come through and, and give their contributions. And I absolutely learned something from every single person that was on the call today. And it's something that, that I look forward to doing in the future. So, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of stories out there of different people in different avenues and different, you know, realms of life who have, um, that, who have really taken advantage of this time um, while we've had so much downtime. And, and this shows a, a part of that. But, you know, for the, it, it takes a lot to, to kind of stick your face out in, in front of a camera and throw some ideas out there to, to very well. It's a, it's a, it's a scary act for some people. It, it, it's nerve wracking and, and to open yourself up to criticism from your peers is, is hard to do. So uh, for those of you who were on that call today and, and those of you who have been doing these kind of things across whatever platforms you have, I think it's dope and I, I appreciate it and, and your efforts are, are not going unnoticed and I think we're all better off because of it. So props to everybody that was on, on that thing today, props to Chu, to, to Brooks, to everybody that's been, been, been giving those kind of contributions and opportunities, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to jump in in front of you, Lucius. Um, my, mine is, there's no, there's no tears tonight. I promise. Uh, mine's a pretty simple one. Uh, mine goes to a, a couple of gentlemen who uh, will not be named. Uh, and, uh, together we, we form a, a very small impromptu once a week, sometimes 20 minute phone call, sometimes three hour phone call. Uh, but my guys in, in the breakfast club, um, you know, having the ability to share thoughts, ideas, be honest, be real, and get better as a person, sure, as a coach and, and all those other things sometimes, yeah, but, but honestly, I know every time after the call's over, I've gotten better as a person, like, that's invaluable, and uh, I will just say to, to the two gentlemen uh, who, with myself, form Breakfast Club, and yes, they definitely watched the show. <laughs> um, good on you. Uh, and I love you both. And uh, I'll see you every Wednesday morning. Um, and uh, I, I appreciate you both and love you both for helping make me want to be a better person, a better coach, a better mentor, uh, and all those things. Oh, all right. So... This one, this one is um, very near and dear to me. Um, so those of you who know me well, um, you know, I don't hide at all, you know, how strong my faith is. And many years ago, I struggled with the whole thought and idea of, of faith and all that stuff. And this gentleman came into my office and he closed the door. And we had a very, very heartfelt talk about you know, religion and faith and my views and his views. And that day he challenged me to not judge anybody in that realm based on what I saw people doing, but to form my own thoughts and ideas based on my own knowledge. Um, from that conversation, um, my thoughts and ideas and my world changed completely. Um, my faith grew and continues to grow on a daily basis. Um, this, you know, this gentleman is not just, he's not a friend, he's not a good friend, he's a very, very good friend. And I just thank him for thinking enough of me to come sit me down and help me. Um, I was a very angry man at that time in my life. 
and that conversation helped me get on a path of uh, of growth, a path of understanding. So my heartbeat props today is Mr. John Frazier, who is the associate head coach at UCLA. He was uh, actually the associate coach for the women at the University of Florida during that time. So um, I'm not sure whether John will ever see this. We'll have to find a way to make sure he does. Okay. That's awesome. Good stuff. Good thing you closed us out. <laughs> we would have had to underplay that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love how all three of you have cute little names for your little text groups and groups. <laughs> very, uh, very confidently worded by the male species. I like it. I like it. So it's not just females to do that. We don't have our own little chain gangs with names. <laughs> it's y'all too. I love it. Well, as we round out our 30th episode, man, we should take a line to see how long we go. Like make bets to see how many more we can do. Betting against the NCAA rules. So we You're can so it. right. Goodness <laughs> gracious. NCAA, what, I mean, they're on furlough this week. So okay. That's right. Technically, <laughs> right? I mean, Say yeah. There's... Well, it says it's not on a sport, so technically, Oh, that, yeah. was, it was, that was a joke. It was, it was a joke. Oh, I'll say Lamar can run it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just just put all illegal things in my lap now because exactly. I'm not an NCAA coach. Right. Got it. I'm taking bets too, if you'd like. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that that would not be one. That'd be an interesting that'd be an interesting betting line because it there'd be some foolish people out there, I think, that would right. would guess like 32 weeks or something. I was gonna crazy. say 31. Like, <laughs> half the audience <laughs> would have bet. Would have lost that bet off. Have Have any of y'all been asked like, well, what are you gonna do when 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 we when we go back to work? Because I was asked that a bunch. Like, how are we gonna still do the show? Like, when everybody goes back to work, I was like, the you same way guys. we always do. I was <laughs> like, we no, but I said like, I asked that before we went, right? I was right. like, the same way we always do. I, I my answer to that is always we gonna figure it out for as long as we want to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Hey, if we can figure it out when three of the four of us are traveling at the same time, then, yeah. then we can figure out how to how to figure it in, you know, from week yeah. to week. We're gonna have to work our, the student athletes that we work with, we'll work them into the background. It'll be like on game day, they're like, with their son. You know? Somebody has to bring a Washington State flag. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. Hey, um, I, you, you guys gotta give those guys credit though. That oh. flag has been on it has been visible on every single episode of Game Day. Absolutely. Really? I'm impressed with that. Even with COVID? Yeah. Really? I haven't paid attention. Yeah. We gave him a special feature and put him on Zoom. Yeah. Wow. Oh, they, they go hard in the paint with that wazoo flag, man. You got it's wazoo. Just kidding. Just kidding, Sam. I mean, it, this. it's Pullman. <laughs> There's not a lot to do. Um, to the blooper reel, wrap it up. I know, right? <laughs> well, I will say, um, by as requested per our audience, uh, there was a request, a request to give a little segment to uh, maybe two to three handfuls, two to th not handfuls, two to three questions at the end of our shows in regards to submissions by our audience. So we did have an episode prior where it was just audience driven, um, but please feel free to submit any questions that you might have. Um, and not to make it sound like I'm about to say it, but if there, uh, 
legitimate questions for us to address on the show where people can benefit from the answers and their feedback, our feedback. Uh, we will definitely highlight them on the show. Um, if not, you might just get a simple email back from the panel and whatnot. Um, but please feel free to submit those at our email. It is on the uh, YouTube channel. So you don't have to necessarily frantically look for a pen right now. But if you do have one handy, it's athletics with an X, A-T-H-L-E-T-I-X dot L-L-C at Gmail. That was horrible because I or didn't you know just, where I Or you can just text them to the people that you know directly. Oh <laughs> if you don't know us, you can email right. us. That was oh, horrible. I swear that was special. It's on the site. <laughs> Anyhow, you all have a great week. I'm so happy we had this conversation. I needed this on Sunday going into Monday. So have a great week. Be blessed. Do what you do. Keep everyone safe. Wear a mask. Love you all. We'll see you again Enjoy soon. Enjoy Coach Cheeks Beats. And go vote. Yes. Go vote. Yes. Hey, true story. Almost everybody's done early voting. And then November 3rd going to come. And we can't have practice, but everybody's voted. Just saying. Anyhow, have a great week, y'all. When the lights come on, the road skip to running. When the lights come on, the opponents mess the plumbing. Would you like it warm, hot, knife the butter? Truth pin them hard, knock them off that rebuttal. Tsunami, tidal wave to your puddle. Tough love punch when the arms, little brothers. Athletics double, I'll see it, there's no others. Track the field's pace and we'll peel to go further. Hey, Wiley, Coyote, it's Roadrunners. Feels like you know us, you've been with us the whole summer. If not for this quarantine, these four corners wouldn't be here, but we're here, so start learning. You gotta earn your stripes, gotta get your scars. Show you how to fight, but show us who you are. You lack experience, but still you wanna talk. And who is actually talking to your circle's kinda small. Heads prevail when the backbone's strong. Gotta keep it coming, no, won't last long. Pass and fail, then sell the sad song. And if you don't check yourself, then that's wrong. Just trying to give you the real that you asked for. So why you keep cutting us off to ask more? We put it in slow mode, but you fast forward. Athletics, devil, I'll see the task force.